0: You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, PetLife Radio proudly presents DSPN, the Dog Sports and Performance Network. Get ready to unleash the dog sports enthusiast in all of us from ski joring and mushing to racing, agility, and competition. This is the place to learn all about the dog sports and activities that you can do with your furry best friend and canine competitor. We'll hear from the leading sports dog show stars that are at the top of their game, learning training tips and get the scoop on their secrets to success. So put your paws together and give a tail wagging welcome to your DSPN host, Laurie Williams.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to DSPN, the Dog Sports and Performance Network show. I'm Laurie Williams. I'll be your host. I'm the owner and director of training and behavior counseling at Pup and Iron Canine Fitness and Learning Center in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Now, some of you may know me or recognize me from the hit CBS reality show, Greatest American Dog, where my little mighty Maltese, Andrew, was the last little dog standing and was selected runner-up. He should have won. We were robbed. But... Anyway, in this show, we were able to really demonstrate our deep bond and our wonderful working relationship, and I've had so many people mention to me how how did we develop such a great relationship, and you know what? We cultivated it through the years by our participation in a variety of dog sports and performance events and therapy dog work, so... I'll tell you, it's been a great, great learning experience for us participating in these activities. Hey, what's more fun than playing with your dog? So I thought it would be great to introduce dog sports to a lot of listeners who are looking for some fun things to do. I'll tell you, if you can win a few ribbons along the way, all the better now today i thought i'd start with one of the most popular dog sports out there and that's the sport of dog agility most of you have probably seen dog agility at one time or another on television it's really one of the most popular sports it's exciting fast-moving, colorful equipment. And it's actually pretty easy for most people to understand the rules. Basically, your dog has to do everything, go through all the obstacles as quickly as possible. agility has been around for about the last 30 years, and it was first seen at the Crufts Dog Show in England way back in 1978. And it was just a demonstration. And ever since then, people have been crazy for it. It's been in the U.S. from about late 80s, and the American Kennel Club started offering competitions in 1994. So today, our guest is gonna be Shirley Murphy. She's a true dog sports veteran with over 25 years of experience in a variety of dog sports, including agility. So I'm sure she's gonna have a lot to share with all of us. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back with Shirley in a moment. <coughs>
1: The Dog Sports and Performance Network will be right back with more exciting action and biting commentary right after this quick time out.
0: Do you love your dog? Then you'll love feeding him mouth-watering all-natural treats, lovingly handmade by a professional caterer who wanted the very best for her dogs. Make no mistake about it. These are not ordinary dog treats. These are doggy delights, like breakfast banana biscotti, honey bear peanut butter balls, yummy apple cinnamon mini cakes, and so much more. Your dog will howl in delight. And now you can get a scrumptious sample pack by going to dingersdogtreats.com. It's a $25 value, yours for just $9.95 through this special radio offer. That's D-I-N-G-E-R-S, dingersdogtreats.com. Every one of these gourmet doggy treats is handmade from the finest ingredients and taste tested on our own dogs. Your dog will love them. Get $25 worth of doggy delights now for just $9.95. Go to dingersdogtreats.com now. That's D I N G E R S, dingersdogtreats.com. Yum.
1: Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to DSPN, the Dog Sports and Performance Network. Get ready for game time with your DSPN host, Lori Williams.
0: Hi
2: everybody, welcome back to DSPN, the Dog Sports and Performance Network, and this is Laurie Williams, your host. Now today, I'd like to introduce everyone to Shirley Murphy. She's a 25-year veteran in the dog sports arena, and she's going to have a lot of great information to share for us. Hi Shirley, how are you today?
3: I'm great. How are you, Laurie?
2: I am doing so well, and I'll tell you, Shirley, of course, you and I are kindred spirits. You know I have a great affinity for you because you have toy breeds. You have your little Papillons that you do great things with and show that little dogs can be just as big as big dogs in a lot of different um, arenas. So I did want to ask you, now, have you always had Papillons? Is that your, your breed of choice?
3: Well, Papillon is the breed of choice for me ever since I really wanted to get started in dog sports. I had dogs all of my life, but I happened to see a Papillon doing obedience um, probably in 1980 at a local show, and I just fell in love with the breed. It was the first time I'd ever seen one, and he was just so bright and lively and happy. And so when I went looking for my first obedience dog, that's what I sought out.
2: Well, you know, I've got my Maltese, and I'll tell you, I think Papillons are a great breed. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Papillon, isn't that the uh, French word for butterfly?
3: That's right. Um, that's In part, it's because of the structure of their ears that they do look a lot like the butterfly's wings, but also there's a story from years ago that one of the French queens was watching a papillon out in the field, and this was when they were actually a drop-eared breed, and their ears would float up and down, and that's why they called it the papillon.
2: Oh, wow, how beautiful. And I'll tell you, they really do look like Poetry in Motion. A lot of great, great agility competitors out there who are Papillons. So, let's see, why don't you tell us a little bit about what are the highest agility titles that you've achieved through the years?
3: Well, um, my oldest dog right now is Willie, and he actually has three agility championships. Two are the Master Agility Championship from the American Kennel Club and Mm -hmm. the other is a Grand Agility Championship from the United Kennel Club. Um, He also happens to have two advanced obedience titles, which is the Utility Dog Excellent. Okay.
2: Well, definitely. I want to talk about That in a little bit, you know how obedience relates to agility, and agility to obedience, um, because I think that that's one of the things that a lot of people don't think about. You know, they see the dogs performing, and and actually, you know, dogs like yours who are very accomplished at agility make it look easy. (laughs) But you and I both know it is definitely not easy.
3: That's true. It it can be very challenging when you get out there every time you're facing a brand new course with places that the judge has actually tried to pull your dog off, of course. And so you need to be ready to think on your feet and, and run with the dog. And, of course, they have to be really well trained because right. they need to know where they want to go when, when you send them.
2: Well, I'll tell you, I get a lot of calls at our training facility for people who want to get their dogs involved in dog agility. Cause, you know, they've, they saw it on television and, you know, their dog is, you know, they're a nice family pet, but, I'll tell you, sometimes they are a little taken aback when I explain to them that you do need a little bit of obedience first. So, you know, let's talk about that for a minute. What would you say are some of the key foundation or basic obedience behaviors and skills that a dog needs in order to really be able to learn dog agility?
3: Well, the basics for agility are really the same as for obedience. They need to learn to sit on command they mm-hmm. need to learn to lie down on a command. They definitely need to stay because if you leave your start line expecting your dog to stay and he doesn't, you get way behind course right at the start. Right. Um, also, they need to come when called. They they have to be very responsive to you on course. And again, you're you're moving at a pretty good rate of speed. So when you call the dog towards you, you need for him to respond to that. And of okay. course, you want them to walk politely on leash no matter what.
2: You know, absolutely. I I think, well, you know, one of the things that's super important in agility is that the dog is working at a distance from you. And I know that's one of the things that is a little bit hard to translate to you know the average person with their dog you know they usually do have their dog on leash, and their dog may listen very well on leash, but once you unclip that leash, how well is your dog going to you know be able to follow direction when, when you're you know several feet away from them so I know that off leash behavior is something that is a coveted uh you know definitely a coveted skill. How do you start a dog? What would you say is the first type of um, obedience lesson or obedience class that you would start with?
3: Well, I do like to start with just working around on leash, calling the dog to you so that he learns his name and learns to respond to that. Okay. Um, as they proceed, of course, you, you want the stationary commands, but you really just want him to be responsive to you, look at you when you say something so that he's always in tune with you, part of where the whole bond of the dog and and handler come into play.
2: Absolutely, Um, and that's that attention that is is crucial in pretty much anything that you want to do with your dog. Your dog has to be able to, you know, want to look at you and want to respond. So, yeah, that's definitely key. Now, what would you say, you know, if someone has a pet and they're thinking about getting into dog agility, what are some of the characteristics that they, you know, you would look for in a dog that might become a good agility prospect?
3: Well, one of the first things you really want is good physical structure. Um, you're looking for a dog that actually has the structure that a confirmation judge would look for, that that they have the proper angulation for their own breed, mm-hmm. um, that they don't have some turnout of a leg or something, because anything that's not good structure, when they start doing the challenges of running up an A frame and jumping, it's going to hurt them. You know, right. it, it can actually be physically difficult for them. You don't want a dog that has physical defects like a luxating patella, which is a, a knee problem.
2: Right, which is very um, common in the, the toy breeds, actually. Right.
3: You also want a good temperament. You want a dog, once again, that engages with you and that will engage with his environment. If he's a little bit of a scaredy cat, then things like the, the teeter-totter that move are going right. to really bother him. Absolutely. Um, and you want just loads of personality and self confidence. You want a dog that is comfortable with himself. Right.
2: Right. Well, I know it does take confidence for a dog to master those obstacles. Um, You know, some of them can be kind of scary. I know, you know, no matter what size the dog is, sometimes when I see them climbing that A-frame, which is the pointy top one for our listeners who are not familiar, the one that looks like an A with a pointy top, that's quite high. Um, Do you ever get a little nervous when your little dogs are climbing it?
3: Not really, because we start them with a very low A-frame and mm-hmm. they learn how to negotiate it. And then once they've learned it, they understand that they have to control their descent. It's actually harder coming down than going up for most True. dogs because they have that momentum going. But once you've trained them how to handle it, then they get pretty comfortable with it.
2: Very good, very good. And I know, you know, one of the things that uh, I learned when we were filming Greatest American Dog, actually, we had a few little um, agility type challenges thrown in there and they did have a kind of a funky little teeter-totter thing and that was actually the first time I'd ever had Andrew on the teeter but you know what one of the things I discovered is that I think it was actually beneficial for him to be smaller on that teeter because it didn't move quite as much I was able to get him to walk on it so that he kind of balanced whereas the bigger dogs kind of slammed onto it so I guess there are actually a few advantages for little dogs in agility.
3: That's true. Um, The other thing is that there's a set distance between the obstacles, Mm -hmm. and with a big dog, he might take two strides and be at the next obstacle, where the small dog can take several strides and still not be there. So sometimes you have a little quicker chance to turn them because they don't cover the ground as quickly.
2: That's a very good point. Very good point. Now, um, speaking again about the um, the obstacles, maybe we can go over some of the I don't know this your basic obstacles I, and you know the, some of the that people would encounter in the beginning stages of agility.
3: Well, of course, there are the jumps, and that is a large part of virtually any agility course. Um, we have single jumps, then we have what we call a double that has a little distance between two bars at the top, so the dog uh-huh. has to learn to um, take a greater distance. We also have a broad jump, which is a very low jump, but requires distance. Okay. Um, and then once you get past that, you have the tunnels, which most dogs actually love. The tiny dogs really love it, and the terriers, right. because they're sort of bred to go underground anyway. Sure. Um, one of the challenges in running a small dog is that they see a tunnel and they get turned down and want to go for it whether they're supposed <laughs> to be there or not. Right. So that's one of the things for them. Then you mentioned the A-frame, which um in the American Kennel Club, the apex of it is about 5 feet 6, I believe. And okay. so that's, I mean, that's taller than I am that my dog has <laughs> to climb. Right. Um, another thing that we have is called a dog walk, and it's a long ramp um, that that has a gradual ramp up. Then it has a straight ramp across and another one down. Right. Um, now, in, in that, the teeter-totter and the um, A-frame, each one of those obstacles has um, different coloring on the lower part mm-hmm. than it does on the upper part. And one of the important things in agility is that when the dog is coming down one of those obstacles it has to put at least one foot into that different coloring it's called the contact and- uh, exactly
2: that contact zone i know uh, for some of the our, our listeners who've watched agility on television it's so fast when the dogs are you know going up and down the A frame or the teeter and uh and then you'll see that, oops, penalty, and that's usually what it is, that that dog has not made contact with that contact zone. So That's right. um, And then they get either don't qualify or they'll get uh, the points off. So that's something that um, I'm sure is is something that takes quite a bit of training to get the dog to slow down enough to touch it, but not slow down too much that they're not going to get a very good time.
3: That's right, because you really do want to – keep the, the motion going when, when you're running a course. Right. And there are some very specific things we do to train for that contact. A lot of people use targeting where mm-hmm. um, you teach the dog to touch uh, just a like a lid of a butter tub or something as they come down and you often put food on it and they learn that they have to slow down enough to touch that spot. Um, There are a number of ways that people train for that and, and a number of behaviors that different people look for on the contact.
2: One question that I've always wondered, I know that when when I'm competing in any any of the you know obedience or rally or any of the things that I do with my dogs, sometimes I'm so in the zone and I'm so concentrating on what the next thing is. Now, when your dog is moving fast and you're moving quickly through a course, do you always know when they have missed that contact or is it sometimes disheartening to find out later after your run that they've missed it?
3: There are times when you really don't know it. Yeah. Um if you have a dog that is really, really reliable on those contacts, you tend to just ignore it and go on to the next obstacle. I have one <laughs> dog who is just superb with his contacts and I can be halfway across the ring and he would get the contact perfectly. And so I don't watch it. If mm-hmm. he happens to jump one, it it would be such a surprise to me that I don't really <laughs> look for it. But sure. most of the time most of the time they know. Um, Most handlers are pretty careful on contacts if they know that their dog has a problem there.
2: Right. I know when the the competitions that we watch at the really high level, and and certainly the AKC National Agility Championships is one of those, and I definitely want to talk with you about that a little bit later. But those dogs are usually pretty good on their contacts. I I haven't seen too often where they, they miss. However, some of the real fast dogs do.
3: That's right. The other obstacle in agility that's coup de grace is the weave poles. Right. And in in the upper level of agility, you have five poles that are set in line. Um, They have a set distance between them, although that distance can vary um, from one trial to another, but Mm -hmm. not a great variance. But this is the most difficult obstacle that I think the dogs have to learn. Um, They have to learn to enter the weave poles at one particular location. Basically, the first pole has to be at their left shoulder. And then they have to continue to weave through them. Um, This is not anything that a dog would naturally do in its own environment, whereas the other things, yes, they run and jump and they might go through a tunnel or whatever, but the weave poles are just a very unusual behavior. It takes a great deal of training to get really reliable weave poles on a dog But when they have that reliability, it is just a pleasure to watch them. It
2: is, and that's one of those poetry in motion moments that um, I think people really enjoy. But I'll tell you what, we're going to go ahead and take a break. We're going to come back, and we are going to talk a little bit more about those AKC National Agility Championships. I bet you have uh, some really good dish to tell us about that. And um, we'll be right back in a few moments.
1: BSPN, the Dog Sports and Performance Network, will be right back with more exciting action and biting commentary right after this quick timeout.
0: Greetings, human. What planet? in session on Pet Life Radio with Teacher's Pet. Learn how to communicate with your pet, train your pet, and see the world from your pet's point of view. You may even learn a few tricks yourself.
3: Teacher's Pet only on PetLifeRadio.com.
1: Let's talk pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to DSPN, the Dog Sports and Performance Network. Get ready for game time with your DSPN host, Laurie Williams.
2: And welcome back to DSPN, the Dog Sports and Performance Network. I'm Laurie Williams, your host, and today we are talking with Shirley Murphy, who has been involved in the sport for over 25 years, or various different dog sports, agility just being one of them. Uh, We were talking a little bit about the obstacles, various different obstacles and the training involved. You know, I do want to back up just a little bit, Shirley. You know, how did you actually get involved in agility?
3: Well, I had started in obedience, and most of my friends were involved in various obedience sports, and then they started to see this new thing, agility, and they started going to various agility competitions. I went with them and just sort of got hooked on the idea, so I joined in with a local club that does training and started to teach my own dog how to do agility with them. It is very easy to get hooked on this sport because the dogs really love it. They have a great deal of fun with it. You have fun with it. It's very active and, and you know, really sort of a healthy thing for most of us to do. A lot of us are uh, just going to work and coming home, and all of a sudden right. we get to do all this running and training with our dogs.
2: Well, it, it certainly is fun. And, you know, one of the things I, I like to tell a lot of my students is, you know, what – What's great about agility is dogs don't always look at it like training. Now, certainly, I'm of the school of thought that, you know, if you teach sit, if you're teaching sit and down and stay and come and all that, you know, quote-unquote boring type of uh, obedience behaviors. If you approach it like it's a game, then dogs will, will like it. But I think it's a lot easier for people to get their dogs to jump and run through tunnels and have fun, and their attitude is upbeat, so dogs don't even really realize that they're in school or that they're learning. They're just playing and they're having fun, so they take to it pretty well.
3: That's right. They really do have a lot of fun with it, and in virtually every group that trains agility, um, they encourage you to use food and toys to get your dog onto obstacles to teach them what to do and everything. And so if, if you go to an agility trial, a lot of times you're going to see people before they run and after they run playing tug with their dogs, grabbing their favorite toy, tossing a frisbee. And it is just a really fun thing for everybody. Um, there were times when obedience training was a little bit more compulsive than what a lot of us do now and the agility was a refreshing change from that for a lot of people. Well,
2: I, being a positive trainer and a, you know, proponent of positive training and dog-friendly training, that's one of the things I really love about agility. You're absolutely right. It kind of brings out that play and that fun in the handlers as well. They want to play. They're getting that kind of drive out of their dogs with, you know, motivating them through play and toys. And and then, yeah, a lot of fluid rewards. A lot of people use clickers more in agility training. So I think it's great. I think it's been a great addition to a lot of different people's training programs. Now, speaking of different breeds, you have the Papillons. I'll tell you, what would you say is the most unusual breed that you've ever seen doing agility?
3: One that's really interesting to watch when you see one is a Great Dane. (laughs) Yeah. And you mentioned the AKC National Agility Championships. There was an absolutely spectacular Great Dane at the trials that I went to. And it was just incredible to watch because it's such a big dog. He would have to just really hunker down to get through a tunnel because oh, the wow. tunnels are the same size no matter what That's dog right. you're, you're right about that. Um the same thing with the dog walk the dog walk is only um, I think it's maybe a foot wide
0: mm-hmm. and
3: here you have this huge dog that has to make sure his feet keep fitting this thing yeah. as he runs across <laughs> it. it it's just spectacular to watch a great Dane run agility
2: It is. You know, I think that's what's great about a lot of different dog sports. You know, agility. Now, you know, granted, I've actually seen some of the giant breeds do agility. I've had the opportunity to see a St. Bernard running agility. I've seen English Mastiffs. Now, granted, no, they're not going to be as fast as a Border Collie or a Jack Russell Terrier or a Papillon. But what's great is that the breeds, a lot of these, most breeds have specialty shows, specialty agility trials, so they can compete with each other and still, you know, excel. They can excel in the sport within their own breed. So I that's think right. that's a great opportunity for dogs to, to be able to do that. You know, large dogs, small dogs, they can all compete in agility. But, you know, it is a little bit relative as far as their times. How important is the time? Is that how placements are made?
3: Yes, it is. First, you have to do the course perfectly, And once you've gotten that, then the placements are determined by the time. Now, you do run within your own jump height, and the jump heights start at 4 for a a special level, and Mm -hmm. then they go up 8 and every 4 inches, and then they finally end up at 26 inch within AKC. Okay. Um, So my little dog runs in the 8-inch group, and he only competes for time with other 8-inch dogs.
2: Actually, that's one of the points I was trying to make during Greatest American Dog. I was like, it's not really fair for Andrew to be competing against these larger dogs. He should be competing only against dogs his own size. But you're you're right. That's why, um, yeah, that's something really good to point out, that they are competing with their same height. And that's great, too, because, you know, you kind of do need a little bit more of a level playing field. I mean, you know, it really isn't fair for a dog with four-inch legs to be competing with a dog that's, you know, 22 inches high at the shoulder. So, that's right. Um, yeah, you know, so that's great. I mean, I, I love it that they have that. So, you know, a lot of different breeds can excel. And one of the other things I think would be great to um, point out, I mean, you have purebred dogs. I have I have purebreds. But even people with mixed-breed dogs can compete in agility. You mentioned your UKC Grand uh, Championship that Willie has. UKC allows mixed-breed dogs. as do quite a few other venues.
3: That's right and and it is it's really wonderful that they do, because there are so many dogs that are wonderful home companions, and they would just get so much out of doing agility because it really is good exercise for the dogs and you know mixed breeds sometimes are just as hyper as some you know hyped uh purebred dog, and so you need an outlet for them sometimes
2: yeah it, it's it's great I, I think that's one of the things that um Definitely helped the sport gain in popularity as well because all these people who were kind of um excluded from dog sports finally they had something that they could do so you know not only mixed breeds but um, you know dogs that don't have quote unquote pedigree or don't have papers or whatever you you know they may be that breed but they're a, a rescue who you know you got through you know you're they're rehomed and they or you got them through the uh breed rescuer from a shelter, you can actually compete with them as well. So uh, agility definitely opened up a big door to dog sports for a lot of people.
3: That's right, and it has been incredibly popular in the United States. Um, When I first started doing agility, um, we often had to go 100 or 150 miles to find a trial to go to, Mm -hmm. but now there are just... Dozens of trials in our own area within probably sixty to ninety miles, and uh, so you you can find the competitions almost any time of the year and almost yeah. anywhere. I think that's
2: true. Agility is pretty much available year round, um, you know, in a lot of different areas. Now let's go back to this uh, AKC National Agility Championships, and probably people have seen this on television. They usually offer a much condensed version of it on television, but I wanted to ask you, know, you know, tell us, why don't you go ahead and let us in on it how cutthroat is the competition there?
3: Well, I I don't know if you'd say cutthroat, but okay. there, there certainly are different levels of competition. I would probably consider myself a hobbyist
2: okay. compared
3: to some of the people who are working at the highest level of this sport, you know, even mm-hmm. though my dog has his agility championships, Um, we probably would not be in the running for the National Agility Champion at any time simply because of um, our training and and whatever, my my own body style and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But when you go to the National Agility Championships, in a lot of ways, you can consider that you're competing against yourself as much as anything else. Um, You do have to have a certain qualifying level. Um, Right now, I think it's that you need six double Qs, which means you qualify in the two agility classes on the same day six different Mm -hmm. times, and you have to have 400 speed points. Now, this means that you need consistency to be qualifying in two classes on the same day, but you also have to have the speed, which is based on how many seconds you are under course time. Just to qualify to go to the National Agility Championships is wonderful. Well, yeah, that's um, what I was
2: going to say. You might be a hobbyist, but that's extremely, extremely difficult and something that, you know, so many agility competitors and enthusiasts would love to be able to qualify. So it's definitely not chop liver. But I, I think I get what you're saying. I mean, just like in any sport, even human sports, you know, you have those who are doing it mainly for fun and, as you say, competing kind of against themselves, trying to get their best time, their best performance. And then you have those who that's kind of their profession.
3: Some of the people, when you see um, the very top competitors on television, they often, um, their their profession is teaching agility to others. Um, mm-hmm. They do run their own dogs. And a number of people that you would see on those championships also have either tried out for or been on the World Agility Team. And, of course, that that would be the U.S. team to the Agility World Championships. Um, They were just held recently, I think, in Finland this year, and uh, the United States had an extremely good showing.
2: Do you know if the U.S. won?
3: I don't think they took the gold medal. Um, Mm -hmm. I do know a couple of people individually won medals, but Mm -hmm. I I don't remember offhand where we ended up.
2: Well, you know, it did start over in Europe, this sport. But I'll tell you, we sure have taken... <laughs> the Bull by the Horns, um, as you said, it's extremely popular. You can find agility trials almost anywhere. And, you know, definitely I encourage all of our listeners who are thinking of getting their dog into the sport of agility or even if not getting into it themselves, just if they want a great time to watch a sport, watch people playing and having fun with their dogs, and watch it up close and personal. Um, as opposed to on television, to do an Internet search, go on akc.org and look at their events. There's infodog.com that lists a lot of different trials all over the country. You know, go see it. For yourself and go see it up close and personal, and go see what I consider, you know, the bread and butter people and and the hobbyists, as you put it, doing agility. Because you know, it, it might look perfect on television because they're cutting and splicing and putting together the top performances. But I think, and you know, they make it look so so easy. But I think if people actually see a competition in person, it'll give them a much better, and much more accurate view of exactly what their dog needs to know.
3: That's right. That's right. And and as you say, you know, we all make mistakes out there, but when you have a good run, it honestly usually looks like your dog is on leash and that you're just running around and the dog is just following you. And it is, it's just the most exciting thing in the world, to come off of a course and have that feeling that my dog just responded to everything that I did, and we did it perfectly.
2: That is, and that's what it's all about. It's about you and your dog, nobody else, none of the other dogs, just you and your dog, and giving the best performance that you're able to give. Do you have any other advice as far as our listeners who have not taking any type of training at all, they just have a great dog, a great partner that they want to get started with. You know, what should they look for?
3: Okay, um, one of the things is either look for a dog that's really turned on by toys, or try to develop that interest in toys in your dog. Just play with them. Um you know too many people think the dog should just grab a toy and go play with it but interact right. with your dog do a little bit of tugging toss the toy and have them bring it back to you to generate that interest in play Absolutely um, Another thing that that I think is extremely important to consider when you're thinking about an agility dog people when they get started they get a new puppy they're all excited they want to do all these things <laughs> but For the sake of the dog and the longevity of his career, I like for people to take it easy for the first year. There's lots of foundation training you can do. You can teach them to run between jump standards without any kind of a jump to elevate them. Um, You don't want to teach any kind of weaving really early because jumping and weaving and taking that A-frame at full height gives a lot of stress on the shoulders. Absolutely. And my dog, Willie, has just retired from agility at the age of 12. Wow. Some dogs don't even live that long. So to get That's a dog true. to continue competing in agility and obedience where you're doing jumping until he's 12 years old, you need to be easy with them when they're young and make sure that their body is formed and the structure is there before you start working them.
2: Absolutely, and I'll tell you what I. One of my best um, pieces of advice to people with their dogs' toys is, you know, a lot of times when I do my private behavior consultations, I'll walk into someone's home and they say to me, "Look at all these toys laying around, and my dog won't play with one of them." And that's why I say, you know what? Because it's too much. Get those toys up off the floor, put them in a basket, put them up, and then divvy them out. You know, then your dog's going to be excited when you get a toy out. If they're laying all over the place, why would they want to? play with them they have them available all the time so put them up then get that tug toy out and your dog should be at least a little bit more enthusiastic to play with it versus the same old you know tug toy that's laying there and he's stepping over you know 20 times a day so that's that's the way you got to make it that it's uh, something that they really want to get to and I really do like your um, advice about not taking it too fast. You know, dogs. You really have to wait till their growth plates close, and you really have to wait till they're physically able to take all that stress of the jumping. There's so many things they can do. Get your puppy in a puppy class. You start with the very, very, very basic uh, training: the sits, the downs, the stays, the attention. You know, all the things that you mentioned earlier. That you know, hey, do that for the first year. Build the relationship. And That's right. You know, agility will always be there. I'll tell you, you and I both know agility's not going anywhere. That sport is here to stay. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, Shirley, it's been such a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much. You've given us a really, really, really great start to the DSPN network. And I hope that we can really get people interested in not only agility, but dog sports in general. And I hope that you'll, you know, come back and speak with us again at a later date.
3: Oh, I'd love to. I I really love talking about my dogs, of course and with the passion of of these various dog sports it's just so much fun and i encourage anyone who hasn't tried it to at least go watch a competition as you said and maybe try to get your in, your dog into a class and see how he does see if he has some interest and spark for it
2: Absolutely. Well, Shirley, thanks so much for being with us today, and I'd like to tell our listeners, you know, stay tuned. We're going to be bringing you a lot of different sports and information, introducing you to so many different things. Agility is just the start, and we'll keep on moving ahead with all kinds of ways you can have fun with your dog. Now, this is Laurie Williams, and definitely kiss your dog, love your dog, play with your dog, build that relationship, and teamwork and you too can have a great sports and performance dog one day thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time
1: ladies and gentlemen pet life radio proudly presents dspn the dog sports and performance network get ready to unleash the dog sports enthusiast in all of us from speed drawing and mushing to racing agility and competition This is the place to learn all about the dog sports and activities that you can do with your furry best friend and canine competitor. So get ready for game time. DSPN with your host, Laurie Williams. Every week, on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.